Welcome to Misinformation, the podcast for ladies and gents who love cool trivia and sticking it to annoying teams at Pub Quiz. We're your hosts. I'm Lauren. And I'm Julia. Hey, Julia. Hey. I'm super comfortable right now. Absolutely. I'm. Uh, we're recording on a on a Saturday afternoon. Mm-hmm. A nice leisurely Saturday. Yes. It's cold outside. It's warm inside. I got my slippies on. I'm wearing a soft bra, you know? <laughs> Doesn't have any underwire. I'm feeling good. (laughs) Ladies, you know what we're talking about. (laughs) Ladies be wearing soft bras. (laughs) You've got a soft bra. I mean, everybody's got... No? (laughs) I feel like everybody's got a soft bra, which is like the transition between no bra and like a real bra. It's like... Some people are lucky in that regard. (laughs) I apologize. I didn't mean to put you on the spot about the soft bra I'm sorry. Well, we're uh, a millimeter into our first <laughs> glass of wine for the day. Yes. So. so I have no excuse for going on for too long about soft bras. <laughs> still going. Uh, <laughs> there's no transition here. No, there's not. Uh, so we're comfortable. Yeah. Buckle in. I got a really interesting person to talk about today. I'm, I'm really looking forward to this. All right. Today, I'm talking to you all about Josephine Baker. Have you heard of Josephine Baker? I have heard of Josephine okay. Baker. I'm going to tell you so much more about oh, her life. Good. She is amazing. Oh, man. All right. So Josephine Baker was born as Frida Josephine McDonald in St. Louis, Missouri in June 1906. So her mother, Carrie McDonald, was actually adopted by two former slaves of Native American and African American descent. Wow. Um, her father was identified on her birth certificate as a vaudeville drummer named Eddie Carson, though there were some rumors later in life that her mother, Carrie, had actually gotten pregnant while working for a white German family in St. Louis. So a little bit of a scandal there. But... At any rate, Carrie and Eddie were both entertainers who performed throughout the segregated Midwest, and they often brought their daughter on stage during their shows. Oh, cool. Uh, But their careers never really took off. Mm. So um, Frida, as she was known then, needed to take on odd jobs to help support the family when she was a little older, you know, like Mm -hmm. like age eight. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah, Help support the family. Yes. she worked as a live-in domestic servant for white families in St. Louis, and they treated her terribly. Um, one of them made her sleep in a basement with the dog. No. And another family punished her for using too much laundry soap by pushing her hands into scalding water. What year was, was this? What was this? Uh, this is the early 1910s. Oh, yeah, really sad. Um, so Frida, again, as she was known then, she had little formal education, and she dropped out of school at age 12. And at age 13, she worked as a waitress and lived as a street child in the slums of St. Louis. Oh my God. Yeah. Where she slept she slept in cardboard shelters, scavenged food in garbage cans, and earned money by dancing on street corners. This is Dickensian. Yeah. It's (laughs) in the nineteen hundreds. I know. Which wasn't that long ago. Um so this time she married a guy named Willie Wells. This is mm. when she was 13. When she was 13, no, she got married young. to Willie Wells. Um, the marriage lasted less than a year. Good. Um, her dancer teens caught the attention of an African-American theater troupe. And at age 15, Frida ran off and began to perform with the group. And she also married again during this time. Oh, again, age 15, getting married, second husband, um, <laughs> to a man named Willie Baker. And she took her new husband's last name and mm. dropped her first name. So officially becoming known as Josephine Baker at this okay. point in time. So Josephine flourished as a dancer in several vaudeville shows, and she eventually moved to New York City and participated in the celebration of black life and art now known as the Harlem Renaissance. She performed at the Plantation Club and in the chorus lines of the groundbreaking and hugely successful Broadway review called Shuffle Along. This is around 1921. Um, Shuffle Along marked a breakthrough for African-American musical performers and proved to producers and managers that audiences would pay to see African-American talent on Broadway. Um, And that's also the show where the song I'm Just Wild about Harry came from oh, just so really? you have like a point of reference oh man I didn't know that that was from well I guess it makes sense that it's from a show because it's about a person named Harry yeah. but yeah, yeah that's but, cool uh, back in the 20s I'm, I'm just I'm just wild about oh, Harry <laughs> I bet myself that once I mentioned it you would start singing <laughs> Well, you prompted me. How am I supposed to? I know. I was waiting. Uh, Maybe so. it's just like this whole podcast is a long, elaborate thing to get each of us to start singing something. 
I mean, that's not hard for me. We'll slowly transition into an all musical review <laughs> podcast. Oh, <my> <laughs> oh man. <laughs> <Our> listeners just, <laughs> I know, because we are not professionals no. <laughs> <laughs> at anything, really. I mean, let's be honest. But yeah. Oh, oh boy. So, yeah. So Josephine Baker, she's a mm-hmm. shuffle along. Um, she performed as the last dancer at the end of the chorus line. And her act was to perform in a very comic manner as if she were unable to remember the dance oh. until at the encore, she would perform it not only correctly, but with additional complexity. Like she became like the star of the show. So oh. the, her whole shtick was like during the whole musical, they were like, what's this girl doing? She doesn't know what she's, she's doing. Crazy. And then at the end, she would just like kablam. But yeah, exactly. Nice. So um, at the time she ended up being billed as the highest paid chorus girl in vaudeville oh well you cool. know what nothing wrong with that that's a nice thing to be yeah why not <laughs> life is a rich tapestry we need many people <laughs> exactly <laughs> so in 1925 her success and also a desire to escape the racism in the united states uh, yeah. Uh, yeah took her to paris and she said quote one day i realized i was living in a country where i was afraid to be black it was only a country for white people not black so i left i'd been suffocating in the united states a lot of us left not because we wanted to leave but because we couldn't stand it anymore Mm. but i felt liberated in paris so um in paris um josephine baker's unique combination of sophistication and naivete as well as her glamour and humor proved so intriguing that she soon became the hotness of course so uh realizing she was a little over her head though she sought out one of the other few black american women in paris in the early 20s who was a performer named bricktop it's a pretty great stage name bricktop bricktop now is that one word or two yeah one word bricktop is this, do you think that she was the original brick house from the Mighty Mighty Commodores? Oh, man. Do you think this is like, someone get, <laughs> someone get the Commodores on the horn. <laughs> <laughs> the original lyrics were, she's a brick top. Yeah. And then like someone threatened to sue them. Yeah. And they're like, well, what else can we change it to? We need one syllable. <laughs> Easy to rhyme. Brick building. Brick uh, roof. Boo. Brick door. Ugh, Shit. I can't think of anything. Writer's block. <laughs> so, so we're back to Brick Top, who was the who was a hostess and entertainer in residence at a small Montmartre club in Paris. So Brick Top took Josephine under her wing. Um, she advised the nearly illiterate Josephine Baker, who was suddenly besieged for autographs. Mm. Baby, get a stamp. That's pretty good. <laughs> I really like Brick Top. Yeah. <laughs> She's <laughs> yeah. I want to learn more about her. She's a pistol. Um, so Josephine Baker became one of the most sought after performers due to her distinct dancing style and unique costumes. So although her audiences were mostly white, mm-hmm. Baker's performances followed African themes and styles. So in her very famous show, Dance Sauvage, she danced across the stage in a banana skirt, which was a mini skirt made of rubber bananas. <laughs> So that costume became her most iconic image and a symbol of the jazz age. Mm. And she became an overnight sensation. Um, thousands of dolls and banana skirts were sold all over Europe. Get out of here. Um, beauty editors advised women to rub walnut oil onto their faces to darken their skin so Ooh. that it looked like Josephine's. Um, there were postcards featuring Baker with a glossy slick down hairstyle mm. uh, wearing her famous banana skirt with jewelry strategically placed over her naked breasts. <gasps> These were widely distributed. Of course they were. Um, her success coincided with the exposition des Arctiques which gave birth to the term art deco and also with a renewal of interest in non-western forms of art including african art so baker represented one aspect of this fashion um in one of her more famous uh photographs she posed nude for baron and fashion photographer georges hoinien huen Ooh, it's a very long last name yikes sorry um she was draped in a diaphanous veil and nothing else. Oh my. In 1927, while interviewed for Vogue, Baker was reportedly swathed in a full blue tulle frock with a bodice of blue snakeskin, wearing an enormous diamond ring with a very impressive diamond bracelet. And for the Parisian fans who wanted to attempt to emulate her look, she sold Baker Skin, which was a skin darkening lotion, and Baker Fix, a hair pomade. Now, that that is astounding to me because... Aside from the whole tanning thing, mm-hmm. which is has nothing to do with African skin in, in like traditionally, right. this idea of tanning was just supposed to be like a life of leisure and your skin would naturally darken. Most cultures want to lighten their skin. Mm-hmm. That has always been a thing. The fact that this became 
she was so popular in Paris that people wanted to darken their skin, which is already, I mean, let's be honest. Mm. It's, it's problematic at best. Sure. <laughs> Looking back at it with, you know, yes, with our modern 21st eyes, century eyeballs. Absolutely. But that is very, um, it's surprising and it's super interesting mm-hmm. that that became a thing. Yeah. So that's like, yeah. That's cool. And luckily, she made a lot of money off of oh, this. Oh, yeah. So it I mean, wasn't like other people like profiting off yeah. of her image. Hell yeah. Um, Get it. With her profits, she moved into the Chateau de Milan, which is a 24-room mansion in southwestern France. Get out. Um, in later shows in Paris, she was often accompanied on stage by her pet cheetah named Chiquita, <laughs> who wore a diamond Stop collar. <laughs> this broad is the tits she's amazing (laughs) so uh chiquita the cheetah frequently escaped into the orchestra pit during (laughs) concerts where it terrorized the musicians oh my god added another element of excitement to the show (laughs) could you imagine you're just you're the tuba player in a pit (laughs) and then chiquita comes out of nowhere sparkly (laughs) sparkly collar and everything (laughs) <laughs> oh my god everybody run but you have to be professional yeah you it. had to be professional keep playing that tuba <laughs> bill keep going so along with her pet cheetah she had a goat named toot toot who Ooh. lived in her dressing room at the nightclub and at the same club she had a pet pig named albert who <laughs> lived in the club's kitchen <laughs> and at one point albert the pig got so big from living this high life that no. he couldn't make it out of the kitchen's door any longer oh, no. and the door frame had to be broken down <laughs> so they could get him out of the kitchen <laughs> oh my oh, god yeah. wait quick side story <laughs> my mom's sister my aunt kathy is animal crazy Mm -hmm. and years and years and years ago she had a pet turkey oh that they used to feed table scraps Uh and one in the house it lived in the house and one day the turkey will call him francois francois would not get up from his little like doggy bed in the corner and kathy was horrified she was like he's sick he's dying so she rushes him to the vet and the vet says he broke both of his legs (gasps) Because he was so oh my fat that he broke both of his tiny stick bird legs. Oh, that's a sad story. A sad story. Did they put like casts on him or did they like no, decide they, they were going to cook him? They were going to cook him. Oh, he got cooked. I mean, it's honestly, it's the best way to go for Francois. He could not have been comfortable with two broken, <laughs> broken bird legs. Just like lolling in the corner like, kill me. <laughs> We can edit this, this out. Is, oh, we don't have to. Li- <laughs> this is why we're not supposed to keep foul as no house pets. House pets are it's a bad idea. So <laughs> let that be a lesson to you, our listeners. Do not keep turkeys in the house or pigs in your kitchen. Apparently, yeah. <laughs> so Josephine, she's super famous at mm. this point. It's the it's the late twenties, early thirties. She's super famous. So is she only famous in Europe, or did she, she did this transition to? Um, Right now is very famous in Europe. Okay. Um, Ernest Hemingway called her the most sensational woman anyone ever saw. Damn. So she was multi-talented. She Mm. was known for her singing and her dancing. Um, And Baker was the first person of color to become a world famous entertainer and to star in a major motion picture. Nice. The 1934 Mark Allegre film Zuzu. And then Josephine also starred in Princess Tam Tam in 1935. So Princess Tam Tam did have a premiere in New York City, but the Hollywood censors of the Hayes office, which was later the motion picture production code, um, they refused to pass the film and prevented it from being shown to most theaters in the rest of the country. Although it did play at some independent theaters catering to African-American audiences. So um, Princess Tam Tam was like the movie that she became best known for. Oh, okay. So um, despite her popularity in France, she never really attained the equivalent reputation in America. So her star turn in a 1936 revival of Zigfield Follies on Broadway generated less than impressive box office numbers. Mm. And later in the run, she was replaced by Gypsy Rosalie. Um, Time Magazine referred to her as, and I'm quoting Time Magazine, Uh-oh. they called her a Negro wench <gasps> whose dancing and singing might be topped anywhere outside of Paris. Oh, time. Ew, it was some it. old white guy yeah. wearing glasses who d- was like, "Ooh, she doesn't look like any lady right. I've ever seen." Yeah. So so then Baker, who was like she was really PO'd about all of like the racist treatment she was receiving in America. She returned to Paris in 1937. Yeah. And she married the French industrialist Jean Leon and she became a French citizen, renouncing her Good American her. heritage at that point. I mean, you know, what are you going to do? Right. So the Nazis. Oh, jeez. The Nazis again. So, 
We can't escape. They're, cannot escape they're all throughout this history. Uh, so when Adolf Hitler and the German army invaded France during World War II, Baker was recruited to join the fight against the Nazi regime. Get out. So since she had initially publicly supported Mussolini's invasion of Ethiopia, which was like early on, mm-hmm. um, the Axis powers mistakenly thought that she was one of them and Baker took full advantage of this <gasps> misconception. So Baker collected what information she could about German troop locations from officials that she met at parties. And she specialized in gathering gatherings at at embassies and ministries, um, charming people as she had always done while gathering information. Get out. And her cafe society fame enabled her to rub shoulders with those in the know from high ranking Japanese officials to Italian bureaucrats and to report back what she heard. So she attended these parties, gathered information at the embassies um, and, and gave the information to the Italian embassy without raising suspicion. So as an entertainer, she had an excuse for moving around of Europe. Course. And she visited neutral nations such as Portugal as well as some in South America as well. And she carried info for transmission to England about airfields, harbors, and German troop concentrations in the west of France. Get out of here. Uh, they wrote notes in invisible ink <gasps> on her sheet music. Oh my God, that's so yeah. cool. Uh, she also hid Jewish refugees and weapons in her chateau. She's a spy. And on some occasions, she would smuggle secret photos of German military installations out of enemy territory by pinning them to her underwear. Oh, my God. What a badass. Because, like, since she was a celebrity, that kind of removed her from the same scrutiny that yeah. other people would have gotten. Because, yeah, because she was famous. they're like, oh, well, she's famous. Oh, well, yes, she's one of us. Oh, mm-hmm. well, look, she's, you know, so fancy and this and that. And so, like, they wouldn't search her stuff the way that they would, not. you know, search certain people's things and people would, you know, loose lips sink ships and all. And yeah. And just, honestly, because she was so popular in Europe, they were probably a little starstruck as well. Yeah. Exactly. That's yeah. amazing. So um, as well as being a badass spy during uh, oh World War II, she trained in karate oh. and... <laughs> I was drinking my wine when you said that. <laughs> She's, so, this is not you. This she trained in karate and what? supposedly became such a skilled marksman with a pistol that she could shoot out the flame of a candle. What? Yeah. I thought that was a fake thing. That's not a thing people can do. Is it? Baker can do anything. Oh my God, she can do anything. Next thing you're going to tell me she could fly and read minds. <sighs> Josephine Baker could fly oh, and also read minds. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> wow. So after the war, she was awarded the Croix de Guerre by the French military and was named a Chevalier of the Légion d'Honneur by General Charles de Gaulle. Mm. Um, so like it came out after the war that like all of this badass stuff that she did yeah. for the resistance. Um, she married French composer and conductor Jo Bouillon in 1947. So she's on like husband number four at this yeah. point. Um, and after many years of performing in Paris, Baker did return to the United States. So 1951, Baker was invited back to the U.S. for a nightclub engagement in Miami. And after winning a public battle over desegregating the club's audience, Baker followed up her sold out run at the club with a national tour. And rave reviews and enthusiastic audiences accompanied her everywhere, topping it all off with a parade of 100,000 people in attendance in Harlem to honor her new title as the NAACP's Woman of the Year. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, Her insistence on mixed audiences also helped to integrate live entertainment shows in Las Vegas. Um, So her future looked very bright. She had six months of bookings and promises of many more to come. Uh Uh-oh. You could tell there's... Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, you got the lead up. Yeah. So there was an incident. Uh Uh-oh. There's an incident at the Stork Club in in Manhattan. Mm. So um, at the Stork Club, she'd claimed that she had been refused service while there as a guest. Um, You know... Presumably because she was African-American. Sure. Um, so actress Grace Kelly was actually there at the club at the time. She rushed over to Baker, took her by the arm, and stormed out with her entire party, vowing never to return. Ooh. And um, Grace Kelly was ended up being like one of her lifelong friends. Oh, that's throughout lovely. Her life, even when she was a princess. That's amazing. Um, so Baker openly criticized the club's unwritten policy of discouraging black patrons. And then she scolded columnist Walter Winchell, who was a journalist whose home base was there at the store club, for not rising to her defense. Like, yeah. They were friends. And like this incident happened and he didn't like get up and, you know, say Ugh. something, and even though like he basically like lived in yeah, the one room like at his the, second at the office. Club. So Winchell responded with a series of harsh public rebukes, including accusations of communist sympathies, <gasps> which was a very serious charge at the time. What a bitter queen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
Leave our girl alone. Yeah, come on. So um, the ensuing publicity there resulted in the termination of Baker's work <gasps> visa in the U.S. because she was a French citizen now. Yeah, she's yeah. not an American citizen. So she they terminated her work visa and forced her to cancel all her engagements and return to France. Whoa. And it was almost a decade before U.S. officials allowed her back in the country. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. This was in 1951? Yeah. That's like that's like 60 years ago. That's like 65 mm-hmm. years ago. That is not that long ago. Yeah, so the, the whole... You know, not only is she refused service in this club, that, yeah. it, that she was there as a guest. Like, she wasn't, yeah. I don't know, she didn't, like, sneak in. She didn't, like, I don't know. Like, there was absolutely yeah. no reason for them to be so rude to her. No, and absolutely then, not. when people didn't come to her defense, then she clapped back at them, and then they called her a communist. Which, you know, anybody, yes, uh, which she should have. She should have been like, where the hell are my mm-hmm. allies here? I'm not only famous, but I'm a member of your community. Like, yeah. What the hell? Yeah. Ridiculous. Walter Winchell, that's it. You're, I'm not reading you're not any re- of this stuff. <laughs> boycott. Official boycott yep. list. Done. So about a decade later, in 1963, she was one of the few women allowed to speak at the March on Washington alongside Martin, Le- Martin Luther King Jr. Get out of here. I didn't know she was there. That's and awesome. her speech detailed her life as a black woman in the U.S. and abroad. And she said, quote, you know, friends, that I do not lie to you when I tell you I have walked into the palaces of kings and queens and into the houses of presidents and much more. But I could not walk into a hotel in America and get a cup of coffee. And that made me mad. Damn. Yeah, that's true. That's crazy. Yeah. So um, she, you know, became this this big figure in the mm-hmm. civil rights movement then. Um, and after the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr., his widow, Coretta Scott King, approached Baker to ask if she would take her husband's place as the leader of the civil rights movement. Oh. And after many days of thinking it over, Baker declined, saying that her children were too young to lose their mother. Oh, my God. So it's like, it was dangerous then. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's super dangerous. Sad. Of course, like, you yeah. don't blame her for wanting to to protect herself. Mm-hmm. Oh, God, what so, an awful thing. So speaking of her children, throughout her career, she adopted 13 children from various what? countries. What? And she called her family the Rainbow Tribe. Oh. And she took her children on the road in an effort to show that racial and cultural harmony could exist. Oh. Yeah. So, She's like Angelina Jolie, yes. but not annoying. Angelina took her inspiration from Josephine. Oh, okay. Well, she I did. shouldn't say yeah. annoying. Well, yeah. you know. <laughs> All right. Angelina, All right. you're okay. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, Baker continued to fight racial injustices into the 1970s, and her personal life continued to be a testament to her personal agenda. Um, She remained on stage late into her life, and in 1975, she performed for the last time. On April 8th, 1975, Baker starred in a retrospective review in Paris called Josephine Abobino. 1975, which celebrated her 50 years in show business. And the show was financed notably by Prince Rainier, Princess Grace, and Jacqueline Kennedy Onassis. Oh, wow. And it opened to rave reviews. Of course. There was such demand for seating that fold-out chairs had to be added to accommodate spectators. And the opening night audience included Sophia Loren, Mick Jagger, Shirley Basie, Diana Ross, and Liza Minnelli. Shirley Basie? Yeah. What a funny thing. <laughs> it was like a, like, a like that was who? like, yeah, yeah, yeah. got to go to the Josefina Bobino 1975, which if I said in French... Uh, Josephine Bobino, 1975. You're wow. welcome. I feel like I have a baguette in my hand. <laughs> <laughs> I'm wearing a beret all of a sudden and smoking a long cigarette. And drinking your, <laughs> your wine. Your accent is transporting. <laughs> so, four days after opening night, Baker was found lying peacefully in her bed surrounded by newspapers that had glowing reviews of her performance. Oh my God, that's so... That's so poetic. Yeah. Oh my God, I want to die. She was in a coma after suffering a cerebral hemorrhage. She was in a coma after suffering a cerebral hemorrhage. Mm. The day before, on the last night of her life, she left a party being held in her honor saying, Oh, you young people act like old men. You're no fun. (gasps) Oh my God. So she's still like crushing it into her 70s. But Baker passed away on April 12th, 1975. More than 20,000 people (gasps) crowded the streets of Paris to watch the funeral procession on its way to L'Eglise de Madeleine. And the French government honored her with a 21-gun salute, making Josephine Baker Damn. the first American woman buried in France with full military honors. Get the for her For out. her part in World War II. Wow. Mm. That's amazing. Yeah. So uh, Place Josephine Baker in the Montparnasse Quarter of Paris was named in her honor. In 1989, a biography by Phyllis Rose dubbed her Jazz Cleopatra, which is such a great <laughs> term. That's cute. Um, during her lifetime, she was also called the Black Pearl creole goddess even though she was not from new orleans um and bronze venus oh and speaking of venus there's a crater on venus named after her (gasps) 
Get out of um, here. And uh, did you know, I didn't know this. All craters on Venus are named after famous women or have female first names. Oh, yeah. Scientists. Oh, Great. NASA, you're so cute. So in a 2003 interview with USA Today, Angelina Jolie cited Baker as a model for the multiracial, multinational family she was beginning to create through adoption. Um, and in other pop culture news, uh, Beyonce performed Baker's Banana Dance at the Fashion Rocks concert at Radio City Music Hall in September 2006. Oh my God. I didn't and, know about that. Um, in the last couple of years, actually, Rihanna uh, wore a dress with a veil that was... Um, to one of those award shows that was inspired by um, Josephine's very famous um, nude, nude portrait. That's too. awesome. So, oh my God. Yeah. I I only knew her as like as an African-American performer. Yeah. I had no idea that she was a spy. Yeah. Um, that she was like a businesswoman, that yeah. she had this um, this really great multicultural family um, oh God, yeah. and that she, you know, did so much for the civil rights movement too. I'm, I am uh, most upset that we don't know more about her now. Like yeah. she died within in, recent yeah, history. Yeah, in the 70s, 75. And I feel like people know more about Charlie Chaplin, even though he mm. died like years and years and years mm-hmm. ago, than Josephine Baker, even though she did a lot. Yeah. A lot of like very relevant things in in a lot of different arenas. Yeah. And she's definitely a big deal, still a big deal over in France, like Good. for sure. Yeah. Um, and you know what? What's great is that her story, thank God, is not tragic. You know yeah. what I mean? Like she had a really good life. And she fought a lot of things along yep. the way. And she she was able to help change some things. Yeah. Which is and she really didn't even die awesome. in like a really horrible way. Yeah. You know, she just died. In <laughs> she wasn't sleep. run over by a carriage. Nope. She didn't get, get poisoned. <laughs> she didn't have a drug overdose. She was murdered. Yeah. Yeah. She she had a great performance and then and then she went fell to asleep sleep. around all of the great reviews from that <laughs> same performance. Like she the last things that she read were probably amazing reviews yeah. of her. Like she, what a great person. Yeah. Oh it's my god, cool, that's so nice lovely. Home. Like Hollywood ending for her. Is she the one that's that Betty Boop is based off of? I can picture the hair being like that. I'm yeah. almost positive. I mean, we're going to take a quick pause and I'm going to Google this. Hold on. Okay, yes. Are we back? Yes, we're back. So jo- Josephine Baker was the inspiration for Betty Boop. Oh, man, they, that makes her, total her sense. Her style and everything. Yes. So actually, Betty Boop is black. Yes. Betty Boop is a black woman. So all you white supremacists who have Betty Boop, like like car decals, you know, you see them in like 1950s style diners. Oh, yeah, you know? definitely. Um, there's a diner in Syracuse that I used to go to every so often called, I think it was called Betty's, hmm. um, that just had wall to wall Betty Boop decorations. And I kind of laughed to myself cause I was like, haha, that's B- Betty Boop is based on Josephine Baker. Yeah. Oh, that's Which great. is really cool. So that's a little bit piece of trivia. Woo. Betty Boop is a black woman. So, so that's, that's my story. That about was Josephine so cool. Baker, I learned the dancing so much. Queen. She was amazing. What a killer. Not a killer. I mean, she was a spy, but not a killer. Yeah, I don't have any proof that she murdered anyone. Killed anyone. Okay. Well, you know, no one's perfect. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and that's geez. a perfect transition. Yeah. It's time for our quiz. Ooh, lay it on me. Uh, the quiz is called Jazz Cleopatra. Mm. But it's a quiz on the Harlem Renaissance and that one famous ruler of Egypt. Awesome. Question one Langston Hughes' poem Harlem contains the line What happens to a dream deferred? Does it dry up like. This, a descriptive phrase that inspired the title of which work by playwright Lorraine Hansberry? Question two. Cleopatra originally ruled jointly with her father and later with her two brothers, whom she married as per Egyptian custom. What was the shared name of her father and brothers, which was also the name of their dynastic line in Egypt? Question three. On February 24th, 2009, the U.S. Mint launched a coin featuring American composer and jazz musician Duke Ellington, making him the first African-American to appear by himself on a circulating U.S. coin. With which instrument is he pictured? Question four. After a political miscalculation on the part of Cleopatra's younger brother, which Roman leader and future father of her first son seized the Egyptian capital, but then restored Cleopatra to the throne? It happened in 48 BC, but not during the seventh month. Question five. 
What was the name of the iconic Harlem establishment which showcased the careers of some of the most popular black entertainers of the era, including Cab Calloway, Louis Armstrong, Bessie Smith, Billie Holiday, Lena Horne, and many more? Unfortunately, the venue itself was a whites-only establishment with a stylish plantation theme. Question six. I need to know. The subject of many famous plays and pieces of art, which Roman general carried on an affair with Cleopatra, fathered three of her children, and eventually committed suicide next to her? Question seven. What American novelist and ethnographer is best known for her 1937 novel, Their Eyes Were Watching God? Question eight. Ancient sources are in general agreement that Cleopatra committed suicide via what obscure method that frequently appears as a clue in crossword puzzles? Question nine. A single true or false statement. The Harlem Globetrotters were founded in Harlem, New York. In question 10, three ancient Egyptian obelisks in London, Paris, and New York City share the same name. What are each of these sharp monuments called? And I'll give you about a minute to think, and then we'll be back with your answers. Chiquita Madame de la Martinique, dis-moi, je vous en prie, quelle est donc cette musique? Chiquita Madame de la Martinique, où allez-vous ainsi dans ce costume typique? Je m'en vais danser, oui, je m'en vais au bal, car c'est aujourd'hui jour de grand carnaval. Trompette et tambour, sonne le blanc, le bas. Et tout le pays va danser la samba. Ah, chiquita madame de la Martinique, si c'est le carnaval, l'occasion est magnifique. Chiquita madame, je vous abandonne tout. Je vous prends par le bras et je m'en vais avec vous. A time for the answers. Oh man. Are you ready? I am so ready. Okay, first question. Langston Hughes's poem Harlem contains the line, what happens to a dream deferred? Does it dry up like this? A Raisin in the Sun. Yes. That's a great play. It is. Oh, it's beautiful. So the play tells of a black family's experiences in the Washington Park subdivision of Chicago's Woodlawn neighborhood as they attempt to better themselves with an insurance payout following the death of the father. The New York drama Critics Circle named it the best play of 1959 and it has been adapted for film and revived on stage many times to much acclaim. Mm-hmm. Question two, Cleopatra originally ruled jointly with her father and later with her two brothers, whom she married as per Egyptian custom. Uh, what was the shared name of her father and brothers, which was also the name of their dynastic line in Egypt? Um, I don't know, but uh, it reminds me of do not drink your brother husband's ashes. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I don't know. Okay. Uh, it's Ptolemy. Ptolemy mm-hmm. with a P. Yes. P. Okay. Ptolemy with a P, not Ptolemy. <laughs> which, which actually makes it... Ptolemy. I feel- I feel like less (laughs) clear. (laughs) You know, Ptolemy with a P. (laughs) So all the male rulers of that dynasty took the name Ptolemy, while the princesses and queens had the names Cleopatra, Arsinoe, and Berenice. Mm. Uh, So our girl Cleo here, she's actually Cleopatra, the seventh Philopater. So because the Ptolemaic kings adopted the Egyptian custom of marrying their sisters, many of the kings ruled jointly with their spouses, who were also of the royal base. So this custom made Ptolemaic politics confusingly incestuous, and the later Ptolemies were increasingly feeble. So (laughs) (laughs) Cleopatra... Do it all the inbreeding. <laughs> You'd think after a while they'd be like, God, these kids are just not right. <laughs> Something's wrong here. You can't see the sun. They got like bird bones. I better call my brother, husband, cousin and see what's up. <laughs> and see what's going on. Uh, so yeah, Cleopatra the seventh officially co-ruled with Ptolemy the 13th, Theos Philopater, Ptolemy the 14th, and Ptolemy the 15th. But effectively, she did rule Egypt alone. Um, and she was forced to flee after attempting to raise a rebellion against her younger brother. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. I had no idea that Cleopatra was like Pharaoh. Like, well, mm. I shouldn't say like Pharaoh because it's not a title, but mm-hmm. that there were multiple Cleopatras. It wasn't just the yeah. one. Yeah, that mm-hmm. was just like, that was one of the names they liked. Yeah, like Edward or George. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Cleopatra. Yeah. She's Cleopatra the seventh. So uh, question three, on February 24th, 2009, the U.S. Mint launched a coin featuring American composer and jazz musician Duke Ellington, who was the first 
African-American to appear by himself on a circulating coin. With which instrument is he pictured? See, I've been, I've been thinking about this and uh-huh. I want to say, I, I'm between two things. Okay. okay. It's either a trumpet or a clarinet. It is neither. Oh, damn. Okay. Drums. Was no. it drums? No. <laughs> Just a whole drum set. The coin was like three times bigger than normal and kind of oblong. <laughs> yeah. No, what was it? Uh, Duke Ellington with his piano. Oh, damn. So he appears on the reverse side of the Washington, D.C. quarter. Oh, cool. uh, the coin is part of the U.S. Mint's program honoring the district in U.S. territories and celebrates Ellington's birthplace in the District of Columbia. Ellington is depicted on the quarter, seated at a piano, sheet music in hand, along with the inscription, Justice for All, which is the district's motto. Mm, okay, cool. Yeah, I feel like that's a topic that comes up at trivia sometimes, and I'm woefully ignorant about jazz musicians, and I yeah. don't know who played what. What What was it? Who's the flugelhorn guy? Flugelhorn? Remember we had a guy a couple weeks ago they asked us about. It was like the best known flugelhorn player. Oh, yeah. And it was like, what? who would know oh, this? Oh, is it, uh, it yeah, Mangione? Oh, Chuck Mangione. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Chuck Flugel, Mangione. Flugelhornist. I, I thought he played the violin, I guess. I don't know. My parents were big <laughs> Chuck Mangione fans until they saw him live. And they were like, yikos, Chuck Mangione has aged poorly. <laughs> And I guess he couldn't play the flugelhorn as well anymore. No. I don't know. I could be wrong. If the if if, <laughs> if Chuck Mangione flugelhorn, <laughs> if Chuck Mangione and his family hear this, I apologize if you're if this is not the case. This is not the people, the person that my parents saw. <laughs> anyway, uh, Duke Ellington played the piano. Oh, okay, great, great. <laughs> we got to get somebody in here to teach us about jazz. We should get someone from the Eastman Museum. Yeah, oh, not that's the a great Museum, Eastman, the Eastman School. Mus- mm-hmm. That's a great idea. Yeah. yeah. Uh, question four. After a political miscalculation on the part of Cleopatra's younger brother, which Roman leader and future father of her first son seized the Egyptian capital, but then restored Cleopatra to the throne? It happened in 48 BC, but not during the seventh month. That would be Julius Caesar. It was. Mm-hmm. So Cleo's younger brother, Ptolemy Thirteenth, had a Roman consul beheaded in front of his own family and then presented the head Damn. to Caesar, who like what? lost his mind over that. Like he was like, he wanted to be like, look what I did. Oh and God. Caesar... Not okay. With not that. okay with that. So, as a result of that, Caesar took over Alexandria. Like he was like, "This is mine now," and um, <laughs> you can't, I can't trust you to take care of this. <laughs> and Cleopatra was eager to take advantage of that opportunity. Mm. So, like, she wanted to shuttle her brother away from power. For sure, she had herself secretly smuggled into Caesar's palace to meet with him, <gasps> rolled up in a carpet. Can you imagine that reveal? <laughs> A bunch of guys come in. We're like, sir, we have this beautiful carpet for you. Bum, 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 yeah. bum, bum, bum. They come in. Put it over there. Roll, 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 roll. And then there's, I imagine her like, um, like coming at, like as soon as it rolls out, she's like posing. Is she always like, is she posed like a hard <laughs> She's just all angles. And he was like, who is that? <laughs> I must have her. So, uh, <laughs> You know, after getting herself smuggled into the palace, um, she became broad. Caesar's mistress. Um, he was 52. She was 21. And <sighs> she gave birth to their son, Ptolemy Caesar, in 47 BC, which was nine months after their first meeting. Oh, how weird. Um, they named, She named their son Caesarion, which means little Caesar. Oh. Pizza, pizza. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I found that so funny. I was funny. It was such a surprise. (laughs) Oh, that was very beautiful. Good. Question five. (laughs) Pizza, pizza. What was the name of the iconic Harlem establishment which showcased the careers of some of the most popular black entertainers of the era? Unfortunately, the venue itself was a whites-only establishment with a stylish plantation theme. Again, I'm I'm divided on this. Mm -hmm. Um, It's I I want to say it's either the Apollo or the Rooster Club. No. Okay. <laughs> Wrong again. What was it? It's the Cotton Club. Shit. You know what? I just read a thing about mm. the Cotton Club the other day. Oh, because it's very famous. I was reading about, ironically enough, last night of my own volition, I was reading about Dorothy Dandridge. Oh, nice. Who is another black performer yeah. who actually died under mysterious circumstances. Mm. So maybe I'll do a topic of, about her oh, cool. later. She was beautiful. Mm-hmm. And um, she looked exactly like Halle Berry. And in fact, Halle yeah, Berry played, her. played mm-hmm. her in introducing Dorothy Dandridge, which is that HBO movie. But anyway. Yeah, she performed at the Cotton Club all the time, mm-hmm. and I literally just saw that. So shame on me for not remembering that. Mm. Please continue. So <laughs> she, 
Shows at the Cotton Club were musical reviews that featured dancers, singers, comedians, and variety acts, as well as a house band. Duke Ellington led that band from 1927 to Mm. 1930 and sporadically throughout the next eight years. So the Cotton Club and Ellington's orchestra gained national notoriety through weekly radio broadcasts there. Oh, cool. And the entertainers who played at the Cotton Club were some of the most widely known blues and jazz performers of their time. That's awesome. But unfortunately, again, it was a whites-only establishment with a stylish plantation theme. Which is like... Just so, like, I don't know. Like, hey, we're going to take this cultural musical, like, this whole musical culture, Mm -hmm. and we are going to have the best performers and musicians of this particular musical genre play in New York. But the only people who can hear it with their own ears is white people, Mm -hmm. which is... Maddening. It's insane. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Anyway. So, yeah, similar to um, the type of um, experiences that Josephine Baker had. Yes. um, Mm -hmm. At the store club. At the store club. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) All right. Question six. Mm -hmm. I need to know the subject of many famous plays and pieces of art, which Roman general carried on an affair with Cleopatra, fathered three of her children, and eventually committed suicide next to her. I hate that you just put that song in my head because I literally just got rid of it last week from 2002, but it's Mark Anthony. It is Mark Anthony. And you know what? Mark Anthony, ex-husband of Jennifer Lopez, damn you for writing and performing that song and for it and damn all of the radio play because that summer, that's all it played. I remember I was working at an ice cream stand and they, they played that song every other, every other like song and I literally, one time I actually, like, I burst into tears because I was like, I cannot listen to this song one more time. <laughs> like, it was, it broke me psychologically. <laughs> it, oh, it broke me. I'm very sorry. Which, it's okay. <laughs> which makes me, which solidifies my opinion that I will never work for the CIA because I would be, be so easily, easily broken. Turned, yeah. First of all, they just listen to this episode of our podcast. <laughs> You're like, oh, write it down. Check. Let's trap her. Get her to tell us all of the state secrets. Just play Mark Antony's. Anthony's. I need to know. Uh, I hate his voice. I hate everything about it. Anyway. 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 So in August of 30 BC, uh, Mark Antony's brother-in-law, Octavian, invaded Egypt. And with no other refuge to escape to, Antony committed suicide by stabbing himself with a sword in the mistaken belief that Cleopatra had already done so. Like he <laughs> heard that Cleopatra died and he was like, what the heck? So he stabbed himself. Like, Man. like one of the worst ways to with a sword? off yourself. Yeah. And a sword is like long. Like in the gut. Like oh, goo. Um, so when he found out that Cleopatra was still alive. Um, <laughs> While he was wow, dying. Like crap. Um, <laughs> her friends brought him to her monument in which she was hiding and he died in her arms. Oh, okay. Well, that's kind of beautiful. It's Yeah. It's a, um, you know, that story, you can kind of see the parallels with that, with Romeo and Juliet. Yes. And then in fact, Shakespeare did write Antony and Cleopatra, which, oh, yeah, that's you true. know, has this whole death scene in it. Yeah. So. Which was very boring, actually, surprisingly, no. <laughs> A lot of it is accurate, though. Which oh, is, uh, that's which great. He did his research. Yeah. yeah. Uh, question seven. What American novelist and ethnographer is best known for her 1937 novel, Their Eyes Were Watching God? I can see the book cover. Mm-hmm. I have shelved it a thousand times. Mm-hmm. And when you're going to tell me the name, I'm going to be You're going to hit the table. off. And <laughs> and I can't remember. Write it down. <laughs> <laughs> what is it? Who is Zora it? Zora Neale Hurston. Shit! Zora Neale Hurston! <laughs> so Hurston's works touched on the African-American experience and her struggles as an African-American woman. Mm. And several of Hurston's literary contemporaries criticized her use of dialect as a caricature of African-American culture oh. rooted in a racist tradition. So um, her her works can be a little difficult for folks to read just because the way that she wrote their dialogue is in a very specific kind of patois that oh, um, you know like you phonetic. kind of have to sound it out as yeah. you're reading it um, and people were you know critical of that because they said like she's perpetuating this like racist yeah. stereotype um, in particular a number of writers associated with the Harlem Renaissance were critical of her later writings on the basis that they did not agree with or further the position of the overall movement mm. but um Later in life, like, well, you know, after she had died, Alice Walker thought that she was like, you know, the most amazing writer that ever happened. And then there was a resurgence in popularity of Hurston after Alice Walker kind of elevated, you know, 
told everybody how great she was. Yeah. And she was inducted as a member of the inaugural class of the New York Writers Hall of Fame in 2010. Oh, that's cool. So she's been recognized for her. Um, That book, I used to work at a bookstore, which shall remain nameless, but it rhymes with Schmarns and Blobel. (laughs) (laughs) They did... um, school like summer reading for school mm-hmm. stuff and that book was on the on that mm-hmm. table every year in high school especially that's like a required reading for a lot of high schools oh wow yeah it's great that's that's good because i can see it being a banned book at some point oh yeah yeah yes absolutely but yeah that's um that well a lot of at least i'll say like local mm-hmm. high schools really try and do a nice diverse oh, good authorship mm-hmm. in terms of required reading um so it's it's cool to see like having to set up that table be like oh that's a great book or like oh and then like make recommendations to kids it's a it's that's like one of the few fun parts of that job all right question eight ancient sources are in general agreement that cleopatra committed suicide via what obscure method that frequently appears as a clue in crossword puzzles that is asp Mm -hmm. she died by poisonous Yes, like a bite of an asp or an Egyptian cobra. So um, she died in Alexandria, Egypt in 30 BC. Okay. In in 2010, German historian Christoph Schaefer challenged this theory, declaring that the queen must have died from drinking a mixture of poisons instead. Okay. So after studying historical texts and consulting with toxicologists, the historian concluded that the asp could not have caused the quick and pain-free death claimed by most sources because asp venom paralyzes parts of the body <gasps> starting with the eyes before oh causing death. So living, yeah. Starting with the starting eyes? Starting with your eyes. Regardless of where you get bit. Yeah. You get, you get paralyzed eyes. Yeah. Like, you know, when we were talking about like, prohibition and people drinking wood alcohol and yeah. like how that would specifically start to target the yeah the, um what's the word the the eyeball mm-hmm. the eyeball yes, mm-hmm. yes. <laughs> the, the, the old nerve. eye strings the, the old the old the old seeing balls <laughs> <laughs> yes so asp venom apparently starts paralyzing Ugh. the body with the eyes and then living when and where she did, Cleopatra would have known of the violent and painful effects of an asp's venomous sure. bite. So he claims it's unlikely that this was the cause of her death. And also, and surprisingly, the asp's bite is not always fatal. Like, oh, really? So you could just get like super paralyzed and like effed up as a result of it without dying. <laughs> oh, well then, yeah, that's not a guarantee. Yeah. So she, so they're saying that she probably didn't do it. It sounds yeah. very romantic. It's very and dramatic. it's always like, yes, the you know, all of the paintings with in and her having the asp bite her on the breast. Yeah, it's always on stuff. the breast. Mm-hmm. You know. So that they could Yeah, so that they can pull her shirt open. <laughs> God. Never like uh, Yeah. God, men are the worst. So sorry, uh, men. So Chris Schaefer and his toxicologist theorized that Cleopatra actually drank a mixture of hemlock, wolfsbane, and opium. As her like okay, that quick. sounds quicker. I mean, the the um, opium would have made you kind of sleepy, mm-hmm. and then hemlock is very very poisonous. Yeah, so I think that works quickly. I think until like last year, I thought that hemlock was actually like the hemlock trees that are sometimes outside here oh, in it's America. Not? No, oh. it's it's not. It's like a very special plant. Like are it's you a serious? Very, yeah. Like I was like, oh yeah, you're right. I wouldn't. I won't drink that pine tree needles because it's poisonous, but. Um, it's no, it's a different. Plant. I, your my mind is totally blown right now. I had no idea that I didn't have anything to do. With we'll the find an article tree. on hemlock and okay. tweet it out after, okay. so that other people can also learn about this. Yeah, definitely. I need to know that nature's poison. <laughs> <laughs> All right, question nine: True or false? The Harlem Globetrotters were founded in Harlem, New York. I think this is a trick question. I'm going to say false. It is false. Yes. So the Globetrotters originated on the south side of Chicago, Illinois in the 1920s as the Savoy Big Five. Mm. They were one of the premier attractions of the Savoy Ballroom that opened in November 1927 in Chicago. So they were a basketball team of African-American players that played exhibitions before dances. And that's actually like how a lot of these basketball teams started was they would be the entertainment before a dance at a ballroom. So like the um, New York Renaissance, which was actually a... 
a Harlem basketball team. They okay. played at the Harlem Ballroom and their team name became the Harlem Renaissance and they became known as the Harlem Wrens. So oh. they were like kind of the warm up at this at, mm-hmm. on this at this ballroom before um, before dances and stuff. Cool. So um, with the uh, Savoy Big Five, by 1929, the team manager and promoter Abe Saperstein was touring Illinois and Iowa with his basketball team called the New York Harlem Globetrotters. And he selected Harlem, New York, New York as their home city since Harlem was considered the center of African-American culture at the time. And an out-of-town team name would give the team more of a mystique. So in fact, the Globetrotters did not play in Harlem until 1968, which was four decades after the team's formation it that you know what that makes sense because um you know the harlem renaissance i'm assuming mm-hmm. like harlem like as a neighborhood since it was like the hub of a lot of culture and music mm-hmm. they would want to be associated with that whether they were from there or not yeah. so that makes sense yeah but the fact that it took 40 years for them to get to even <laughs> to like, like to go there, there yeah it's kind of amazing so that's cool and the last question three ancient egyptian obelisks in london paris and new york city share the same name what are each of these sharp monuments called i don't know it's Cleopatra's Needle. Oh, cool. I had never heard of that. Oh, so um, there are three of them. Their shared nickname is a misnomer as they have no connection to the Ptolemaic Queen Cleopatra VII <laughs> of Egypt. Um, and they were actually already each more than a thousand years old during when she was alive. Oh, wow. So not even during her lifetime. So the London Needle is in the city of Westminster on the Victoria Embankment near the Golden Jubilee Bridges. The Paris one is in the Place de la Concorde and the New York one is in Central Park just west of the Metropolitan Museum of Art. So two of them are a pair of obelisks from a specific palace and then the other one is kind of a lone lone one, but it's matching guys back in Egypt. Oh, okay. This was during the time when they were, you know, taking monuments Mm. out of places and putting them in the new world. Because it's like, we don't have a history, so we're going to take mm-hmm. that history from all the ancient worlds. Yeah. Yep. Because they're savage beasts. And then we're going to unroll some mummies. <laughs> at, it. at a dinner party. Yeah. So that was, that was my Jazz Cleopatra quiz. That was so cool. I feel empowered. I feel like a strong woman. I feel like I want to go out and tell everybody about Josephine Baker. I feel awesome. good about please it. Please do. Yes, I will. Yes. And everybody who's listening, please tell everybody about Josephine Baker or actually just tell them to listen to our, this podcast. Oh, sure. Yes, and you know where you can find us. Oh, yeah. iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and whatever podcast app you prefer with mm-hmm. our um, RSS feed. Please rate, review, and subscribe. Yes, um, and thank you to everybody who's oh, written yeah. lovely comments so far. We really appreciate it. Yes, and uh, if you need to get a hold of us, we are on Twitter at MissInfoPod. We are also available via Gmail at MissInfoPod uh, at gmail.com. We have a website, misinfopod.com. Triple dub dot. Triple dub. Triple W. Triple dubs. Dots. <laughs> misinfopod. Dot all one word. Com. Dot com. We are not dot org yet. Or dot edu. <laughs> Although, we, Although sh- we should be. We should be dot edu because we are educating the masses. So thank all you right. so much for listening. Yeah, thanks. All right. We'll and see we'll you, next, you time. next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.